I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What is happening? The date today is September 11th, which means it is the anniversary of the attacks of 9-11. And um, I was very young uh, at the time uh, when it happened, but... That doesn't mean I can't understand what happened and pay respect to all of the first responders and all the public officials that so valiantly worked to uh, really get the city back on its feet and save as many people as possible. Um, and that's something that we'll always remember here in uh, the United States when this time of year comes around. Um, but this time of year, the early September months, also means that the NFL is back. Um, so, as you probably tell by the title of this episode, that's what we're going to spend a lot of time on. Um, I think I'm going to do the NFL coverage this year a little bit differently. Because last year, I mean, um, I had a lot shorter segments when I was making this, maybe like four or five minutes, and now we're kind of just uh, expanding them quite a bit. I've noticed that we've tended to trend toward fewer topics, but go more in-depth. Um, and so the NFL, we're really going to take a, we're going to pan around the league and, and start to take a look at just all the developing storylines from the weekend. Um, and boy, am I hyped to have this back. I mean, just get, get, watch football on Thursday night, even though it's kind of a clunker of a game and not good for my fantasy team. I ended up winning though. Uh, and then you get a high school football on Friday, college on Saturday, more NFL on Sunday, more NFL on your Monday night. Um, and then you get Tuesday, Wednesday off before you recover before the next weekend. Of course, we record on Tuesday, so that means you get long takes on Tuesday or Wednesday and fill in your weekend or your weekday. Um, but uh, no, I'm super pumped. Uh, fantasy is in full swing, already trying to angle for some trades and things. Um, but anyway, that's not what you came to listen to. You came to listen to some sports talk, so let's do it. Um, the NFL Week 1 kicked off uh, with the Eagles and Falcons on Thursday night. Um, and we didn't really uh, learn too much from that game. Um, I mean, the Falcons still are going to struggle on offense. Uh, continuing, Matt Ryan had kind of an off year last year by his standards. Um, and he sort of continued that. Uh, the Falcons only scored 12 points. Um, but both defenses can hold up. And if the Falcons' offense can recover uh, and can rebuild a little bit, um, and Matt Ryan can kind of get his rapport with his receivers back, like Muhammad, uh, I think Muhammad Sanu, um, they can really be a threat. Um, but right now they struggled, and the Eagles fairly squeaked out with a win. Um, it is a very similar situation to this to the uh, NFC wild card game, I believe, or divisional game last year, um, where the Falcons had a chance to win at the goal line, but were not able to convert, even with a big target like Julio Jones. Oh yeah, also a big target or a big key for the Falcons is going to be to be able to uh, find their big receivers in the end zone because. They can't convert in the run game. They've got to find a way. That's where you win and lose games is when you have opportunities. Uh, if you can take advantage of them, you can win the majority of your games. Um, so that's what the Falcons need to work on. The Eagles, meanwhile, prove that they can still win with Nick Foles, even though Nick Foles is uh, not exactly your most uh, reliable or most strong quarterback. Um, didn't quite live up to his nicknames, but... Uh, you know, they can still win with Foles because of their defense, especially they proved that against this Falcons team, which still has a pretty decent offense. Uh, the other game, huge game, uh, that I wanted to talk about was the Packers beating the Bears 24-23. to 
man, Aaron Rodgers. It's tough enough to play against a defense that just got Khalil Mack, uh, Khalil Mack, who had a sack, a touchdown, interception, forced fumble, fumble recovery, all in the first half, um, which is remarkable. It's tough enough to play against that defense. But then to go out with a knee injury in the first half and have to come back basically on one leg, I think they only let him out because he couldn't hurt it more, um, per se, um, which is you know still not good for his performance, but still better than uh, Deshaun Kaiser, no disrespect, but he's no Aaron Rodgers, clearly, um, as, as evidenced by the score. And, and to be down 20 to nothing, I mean, at, at that point, it's tough because the Bears' defense knows what's coming. I mean, it's Aaron freaking Rodgers. He's going to throw the ball a ton of times, um, and yet Aaron Rodgers still completed like 90% of his passes, which or maybe like 80% of his passes, which is crazy um, against the Bears' defense with a tough line. And the, the line knows, too, that if they can get to Aaron Rodgers they, and, and get him hurt again, I mean, sack him a couple of times, they're going to take him out for a precaution. Uh, so the O-line also, huge credit to them, stepping up, knowing who they've got behind them. Um, and then Aaron Rodgers' individual performance made some amazing throws. Randall Cobb had a bit of a, a little resurgence with that uh, huge run uh, that gave the Packers the lead in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer, and the legend for him uh, just grows because of this win against a tough Bears squad. Now, there are so many more stories that we really can get into uh, from this NFL Week 1. First, Patrick Mahomes. He was established as the, or he was drafted as the future franchise quarterback coming after a guy like Alex Smith, who I've said many times had not a very high ceiling. And I was with Washington doing okay, um, but... But, you know, if you wanted that superstar, Super Bowl winning potential, you needed to start out fresh. Um, and that's what Patrick Mahomes gives you. Um, and we got a piece, peek of that uh, on Sunday, putting up 38 points um, and without a Kareem Hunt touchdown. I mean, he's clearly a dual threat. Uh, he ran the ball on the play action, on the little option play, RPO, multiple times um, with a pretty good effect. Um, and then he also got a bunch of fantasy points because he threw some shovel passes um, in the uh, shovel passes near the goal line. Uh, that basically no effort for him, but he still gets the four fantasy points for a touchdown. Um, but anyway, I actually wasn't playing against him. I'm just I just observed that. But also great play calling from the Chiefs on Sunday to kind of exploit or to kind of use all of Patrick Mahomes' skills and also the guys around him. I mean, you have three speedsters. You got Mahomes, you got Kareem Hunt, you got Tyreek Hill. And multiple times I saw that they used Tyreek Hill um, on the goal line and in, in the open field. Uh, they used motion plays to kind of get him from def- free from defenders. They used misdirection. Uh, one time they had Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill crossing, and then they threw it all the way across the Tyreek Hill, and he went untouched into the end zone. Uh, they did that another time with, uh, I forgot who, but another player is a similar play, um, and he just like literally walked into the end zone. So if the Chiefs can keep this play calling up and, and keep using their players' speed to kind of misdirect the league, uh, this is going to be a really tough offense to stop. Uh, and that, that's how I see this Chiefs team. And I think they can be pretty good. Um, the team where I'm from, the 49ers, uh, they struggled definitely in week one, particularly on the offensive end. Uh, pick six, three interceptions for Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, fumble inside the, five y- inside the Vikings' five-yard line. Uh, so, I mean, they had definitely had their share of struggles. They scored 16 points against, though it is a tough Vikings defense. Um, but I think they really showed some promise here. I mean, like, it is a tough Vikings defense, and the fact that they were able to 
uh, score 16 points and be on the doorstep of scoring even more um, and, and essentially winning that. We're, they were close to winning this game if a few plays went their way. Um, the fact that they can do that against a team that got to the NFC Championship game last year is pretty promising for this young team. Coming in, all the hype from Jimmy Garoppolo, um, having that weight kind of lifted off their shoulders of getting the first loss might end up being a net benefit, especially because this is a road loss in a really tough environment, although there were a lot of Niner fans. Coming home, I fully expect them to kind of shore up some of their mistakes a little bit, um, now that they're used to also not having Jerick McKinnon out there, uh, who got hurt in the preseason and is now out for the rest of the year. Um, so I actually really like this Niners team, um, and I think if they clean up some of their mistakes, they can uh, be a contender, I think. Uh, on a, another note, the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, ended their losing streak, kind of. The, if you didn't know, they went 0-16 last year, um, and in this game, uh, they tied the Pittsburgh Steelers 21-21. to So, I mean... This Browns team clearly has improved from last year. They actually added some brand names. Um, Tyrod Taylor, who's had success in Buffalo. Uh, Jarvis Landry, the speedster from Miami. Uh, who else? Josh Gordon, who's coming back from his various things. Uh, Carlos Hyde, a running back who got his uh, rep- report, gained his report in San Francisco and is now in Cleveland. So, I mean, they have the talent to win a few games. And they were able to hang in there, even against the Steelers team that didn't have, uh, that didn't have, uh, Le'Veon Bell, excuse me. Um, and they and they actually forced six Steelers turnovers, um, which is pretty crazy uh, against a potent offense like, uh, like Pittsburgh. And they still tied the game. So I mean, it is disappointing for them, but I think if you step back and look at the bigger picture, this is definitely a step in the right direction. And they're not going to be a playoff team this year. Um, but I can totally see them winning, you know, six or seven games um, and really making this interesting toward the end of the year. Um, also, the Le'Veon Bell controversy. Uh, over the course of the week, uh, once he announced that he wasn't going to be in there week one, he was kind of, he's holding out. His offensive linemen were kind of, uh, were angry with him, and, and they said uh, it, it's Le'Veon first for him and not team first, and that's not what we're about here in Pittsburgh. And to me, that was kind of shocking just to see his, offensive linemen straight up go for him like that maybe they're trying to light a fire under his butt if that's the case then I mean you don't have to do this publicly um and if they know something that we don't like maybe they know that he's not going to come back maybe he texted them or something um that's pretty shocking to come from an alignment and not from the front office but nonetheless um James Conner stepped up in his absence um I also did notice that right after the game when the Steelers tied because they didn't win uh Le'Veon tweeted the little um thinking emoji you know the one with like the I think there's a monocle um and it's like hmm yeah so I mean there there still seems to be some underlying tension there maybe it's maybe it's been stewing for a long time um and that all kind of adds up to a shaky long-term relationship with this team and I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be able to hold this up uh here in Pittsburgh um another story coming out of the uh, New York Giants, Jacksonville Jaguars game. Saquon Barkley, the much hyped prospect from Penn State. Uh, he was bottled up for a lot of the game, for sure. Um, but he did have a moment in the form of a 60-plus yard touchdown run where he really showed his speed and also his lateral movement, um, just his game-breaking ability to be able to take a play that did not look huge and break it into one that was and really get the edge and demonstrate his speed and went down the sideline. Um, definitely Saquon Barkley is a talent to look out for. Although the Giants' offense 
did not perform up to their standard. I mean, they had decent individual performances. Saquon uh, with 100-plus yards, OBJ with 100-plus yards receiving. Um, but they're still going to – and this was against a tough Jaguars defense, uh, but they're going to have to – it's going to be tough for them to win a bunch of games if they keep uh, not performing like this. Um, and finally, uh, actually second to last, uh, Andrew Luck surviving a full game, even though he uh, lost uh, the Colts falling to the Bengals 34-23. to um, After not playing a game since uh, a few seasons ago, just the fact that he was able to survive this game and make some deeper throws um, what was a good sight to see. 319 yards, two touchdowns, uh, one interception. So overall, not a horrible stat line for Andrew Luck. Um, but I don't know if he has the pieces around him for the Colts to compete as much as they would like to. Um, beyond that, uh, the Monday Night Football slate had some interesting games. Uh, neither of them looked close at the end, although there were interesting points for sure. Um, I had a good fantasy night on Monday night. Um, but I think the matchup that really uh, stood out from there was the Rams and the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders uh, coming in just having lost Cleo Mack, but having gained John Gruden um, to see his uh, presence back there on the sideline after being out. The Raiders having a tough time um, was probably a good sight to see for Raiders fans. And the Oakland Coliseum was rowdy. Um, but nonetheless, it wasn't enough to stop the Rams offense, which is still great. Um, headlined by Todd Gurley, uh, having added uh, some pieces in the offseason. So, I mean, the Rams are still going to be a great offensive team. Um, and in this case, the Raiders' defense, although it held up for a little while, was not enough to stop them. Um, and I'm interested to see how the Raiders' backfield plays out over the course of the uh, season because Marshawn Lynch, who is technically the lead back, only got 11 carries, um, and he was taken out a lot of the time in favor of Doug Martin, or Jalen Richard, who actually got a good amount of playing time. Uh, Jalen Richard appears to be the more dynamic back, using like passing down situations. He was out there a lot of the time when they were behind or in passing down situations. Uh, Doug Martin, I'm not really sure what his defined role is. Um, probably similar to Richard. Um, and then Marshawn Lynch is kind of the he can be an every down back, but an every down back like every other series. Um, and he, and he showed flashes of the beast mode that we got to know and love in Seattle and started to see in Oakland. Uh, I think last year. Uh, he had a run in the first quarter where he got kind of stuffed at the three-yard line, and then his offensive lineman and him just had that sheer will uh, to push him into the end zone. Uh, so if the Raiders can can figure out the balance in their backfield and also get more of their receivers involved because Jared Cook had a big game uh, with 100-plus yards. I think it was 181 yards. But Derek Carr couldn't get Amari Cooper involved at all. Um, and he couldn't. He didn't have Amari Cooper involved for much of last year. I know I had him on my fantasy team. And so, if they can't develop that dual side of the offense, it's going to be tough for them to beat tough defenses. Uh, like the Rams are still a pretty tough defense. Uh, so I'm I'm, hi- I'm hyped to watch the rest of the NFL season. Uh, my fantasy season is ten regular season weeks. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, I'm mostly standing for those couple of weeks, but now that the Niners are good, I might have to watch more. Um, We've got a great slate of games, as always, next week. I, in particular, like the Raiders versus the Broncos at mile high. We've got Pats versus Jags in a rematch of last year's uh, AFC Championship game. We've got the Chiefs and the Steelers. Uh, So this is going to be a fun fun week, uh, and we'll be here to talk about it. So there weren't too many big college football games this weekend. Um, probably the ones that I would highlight that I haven't, uh, that I don't plan to talk about right now, uh, would be Georgia stomping South Carolina forty-one to seventeen. 
um, and Notre Dame scraping by Ball State 24-16. But I guess there are two ones that really piqued my interest for multiple reasons, but the first one uh, is number two, Clemson beating Texas A&M 28-26. Coming into this matchup, we knew it was going to be fun, and ESPN hyped it up. Uh, There was no shortage of that, Um, but nonetheless... Um, you have two coaches, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson and Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, who are very familiar with each other coming in. Uh, Jimbo Fisher was a head coach at Florida State for a very long time, and Florida State and Clemson were in-conference rivals. And now that Jimbo has moved out of uh, Florida State and the ACC by extension, he's now joined the SEC in Texas A&M, where he has high expectations, and boy, did he live up to them to some extent uh, this last week. Texas A&M... We kind of knew that they would be ready coming in just because of Jimbo Fisher has experience in these big games. Um, and and they weren't going to get blown out. Uh, they already knew that there was, there was some experience to be gained uh, from, this, from this game. Um, and we saw that throughout the game. And though they didn't come out on top uh, when they played Clemson last Saturday, I believe, uh, they still showed some fight. Uh, they were down... 28-13 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter, um, and to some extent it almost looked over uh, after Travis Etienne ran in a one-yard run with 101 left in the third, um, but they showed fight. Uh, they got a touchdown pretty quickly into the fourth quarter, and then at the end, uh, after a fumble that uh, actually they the ref said it went into the end zone for a touchback, even though it was kind of questionable, Pylon Cam had the ball like going directly over the pylon, so I mean... It could have gone either way, but they stayed resilient. They got the ball back, um, and they went they went right down the field um, and scored a touchdown on a gutsy throw by by the quarterback Kellen Mond, uh, who's going to be a quarterback to look out for the rest of this college football season. Um, and it got tipped into the hands. So I mean, it was a really exciting game, especially in the exciting environment that is Kyle Field, home of the twelfth man uh, down there in College Station, Texas. Um, but unfortunately, they weren't able to convert the two-point conversion and weren't able to win the game. But nonetheless, um, it was a super exciting game. Um, and I, I think Texas A&M shows that they're ready to fight with the big dogs. Uh, they're undefeated on the season so far. Or not undefeated on the season. They only have this one loss on the season so far. And they've got some big matchups where even though they're probably not going to get compete for the college football playoff just by their standing and all, but they've got some good testing point matchups where Jimbo can have them ready and, and start to say, look, next year uh, we're going to be really fighting for this thing. Uh, beating in the, being in the SEC, Jimbo's got a whole new slew of opponents he's got to learn before he faces. Uh, Alabama, November 22nd, that's just in two weeks from now, about a week and a half from now. Um, and then you get Mississippi State and Auburn in back-to-back weeks, and then you got LSU to end it at home, which is, no matter what their rankings are, that's going to be an exciting matchup and a a really electric environment uh, at College Station. So I'm excited for the future of this A&M program. It's really all they've got because the only...
for 17 USC uh, to open up the Pac-12 schedule, who, though they lost Sam Darnold, is still a strong team. But this game ended up being a bit of a clunker. Uh, the final score was 17-3, to um, and there was not much offense to be had. Uh, I mean, the USC defense actually did a pretty fine job uh, holding down the line, because the biggest story coming into this was probably Bryce Love, uh, who is probably the Heisman frontrunner coming in, and he had a tough first game uh, against San Diego State. Um, but he, barring some big runs, which he broke out, um, which I actually really um, liked and saw his potential, because he, he has a lot of explosion, especially when he can get the corner, um, and he's gone. Uh, he had a 59-yard run, which probably is largest in the night. He ended up with 136 yards on 22 carries and a touchdown. So, I mean, it's not a humongous Bryce Love show. And for the most part, USC did a decent job uh, stifling him. It was just the big runs that really, he had another one, I think, that really uh, ended up boosting his stat line quite a bit. Uh, but the Stanford defense, uh, they were the real stars of the show. I mean, USC had... to play some great defense. An interception uh, after a long drive that was really USC's last chance to get back into this game. Uh, with 2.22 left in the fourth, uh, the quarterback, GT Daniels, got intercepted in the end zone. Um, and then after a Stanford punt, USC's really had no more chances left, but the first pass thrown was an interception. So uh, Stanford's defense is going to be the key for the season because we know what to expect from Bryce Love, and we know pretty much what to expect from KJ Costello, who's going to be a a veteran quarterback that can that can run the offense pretty well. Um, and they've got talented guys on the outside, like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who's humongous. He's a beast. Um, and you can just, I remember last year, you just post him up uh, on DBs, and he's bigger and stronger than them, and he's going to be able to catch the ball if you throw a good ball, which Costello should be able to do after being with him for a few years. Um, so it's really going to come down to the Stanford defense. They had a great showing against USC, um, who was the 17th seed at the time. Looking ahead on the schedule for week three, um, we're, we're in the last week uh, before, non, before conference play, so we've got mostly duds on the schedule. But if we take a look, we've got some interesting matchups. 17 Boise State playing 24 Oklahoma State. Uh, Boise State in the Mountain West Conference uh, has been kind of a pretty consistently good team, just not enough to compete with the big boys. And right now they're 17th in the country, and if they keep playing up to this, we could end up having a U, another UCF-type team uh, where they are near the top 10 and they get into a New Year's Six Bowl um, and they've got a chance to kind of show, show the country uh, what they're like, but unfortunately their schedule is really not strong enough uh, given their conference uh, to actually compete for the college football playoff. And then also probably the more important game is Ohio State and TCU, the Buckeyes playing the Horned Frogs, uh, Urban Meyer's last game away from the team. Uh, the Horned Frogs got by SMU in a blowout, but it was a late blowout. And Ohio State will be coming in after some uh, early season blowouts, bringing that explosive offense into Fort Worth. Um, and I'm excited to see how Dwayne Haskins performs in his first kind of high-pressure game because he's going to have a lot coming up, you know, in his division, Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State. Um, so, and a revamp Purdue team. So, I mean, this is going to be an interesting matchup. Um, and, I, and I'm excited to see how... Uh, it unfolds. Okay, so a kind of half quick take, half regular regular topic. 
but it's going to be Serena's performance at the U.S. Open. So Serena Williams, uh, off a difficult, very difficult childbirth, um, is has now competing is now competing for majors again. Uh, she got, I believe, second place at Wimbledon and now second place at the U.S. Open. Uh, the major controversy from this came in the form of uh, when she got mad at the chair umpire for first giving her a penalty for coaching, which ended up turning into a point penalty for smashing her racket, which turned into a game penalty for yelling at the umpire. Look, I might be in the unpopular opinion, but I think Serena's in the wrong here to some extent. Or, or not necessarily totally in the wrong, but I think when she started, she kind of lost me uh, at a certain point when she started bringing in her family into this about she said I have a daughter and I'll I play for her and I'll never cheat in my life I think when you do that that's an unnecessary emotional appeal I mean I'm bringing some AP English stuff into this but like look the umpire doesn't care he's looking he's objectively determining uh, whether you think you have been coached and although I know coaching doesn't get called a lot it's what I heard a lot um, about and I can't necessarily speak to this individual case with 100% authority, um, but to a certain point you have to accept what's happened. Uh, once you took the point penalty, that's enough. Uh, I get that you want your your voice to be heard, um, and I'm not telling her to shut up all the time. Um, but there comes a point when you have to recognize what's going on, um, and also the things about about gender and she was discriminated against because she's a woman. Um, and that's why she got called for it. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true to some extent. Um, men, I've seen men like John McEnroe in the olden days um, complain a lot and, and not get a game penalty. Um, I think they're both in the wrong because at the end of the day, what happened was it ended up taking away from the eventual champion, Naomi Osaka, who was who won the first set and was winning the second set when Serena got her game penalty, and she was just kind of running through uh, Serena. So I'm excited to see Osaka because she is a, the first Japanese woman, uh, and she's half Japanese, I believe half Haitian, uh, to win a major. Um, and she, poor poor thing, got her, or was like hiding under her visor during the awards ceremony because uh, the crowd was booing because they were upset with Serena, and, and Osaka felt the need to apologize to the crowd. Um, and that's just a bad look for for tennis. Um, when you're when you're top athlete, because it's funny, I see the juxtaposition of like this news story happening in conjunction with all these ads still running with Serena and and being a mother and all the positive things. Um, but when you have like the top star, the most recognizable face in women's tennis, uh, having this kind of controversy, it's just not a good look for the sport and for women's tennis. Um, and Especially for Osaka, who we kind of got, we kind of got robbed of seeing the rise of a star because of all of this talk. All right, thank you so much for listening to the Wong Takes. Uh, you know what to do: bit.ly slash the Wong Takes, the Wong Takes at gmail.com, pageo.com slash the Wong Takes. Uh, rate and subscribe. Send questions: the Wong Takes at gmail.com. Leave voicemails. Um, do the do do the usual. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and I will see you all next week.